we envisioned our life moving in a different direction. And then literally it just gets smashed to, to pieces in one moment. Hi, everyone. It's Olympic figure skater and broadcaster Tara Lipinski, and you're listening to Unexpecting. I started this podcast with my husband and now co-host Todd to bear it all about my untold five-year and often excruciating journey with infertility. The goal is simple, to take this taboo subject and demystify it, to normalize these important conversations, and hopefully to find answers. Nothing is off limits, and over the course of the series, we'll unpack my fertility mystery, the trauma we've endured, and hopefully offer those struggling alongside of us some valuable insight. So laugh and cry with us as we ride this unimaginable fertility roller coaster, hopefully toward a brighter day. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you know someone struggling with fertility, tell them about this podcast. Because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. Hi, everyone. I'm Tara Lipinski. And this is Todd Kapastashi. And you're listening to the fourth episode of Unexpecting. So I want to surprise you a little bit at the beginning of this episode. He always loves to surprise me. I don't know what it is. We kind of loosely talk about what the episode is going to be about. And you never mention these surprises. Well, I think it's important to, to you know, surprise is the wrong word, but just ask you questions that you haven't, you yeah, know, necessarily, <laughs> necessarily thought about um, deeply yet. And to get your quick reaction take. and take All on right, some we'll of this stuff. Goes. But this isn't a question necessarily, but it's more of an observation that I made last night because usually the night before we do a podcast, you'll go and kind of look at what we're covering in the episode and, and think about, you know, all the that time, <laughs> that time. And you'll kind of put yourself back in, in that space in that moment. And I, I could tell last night when we went to bed that you were not in a good place and you weren't doing well. I had a few tears. It was weird because I didn't expect that because the first episode's I felt kind of okay. We had some failure, but this reaches a different level. And I think, you know, we've been working on this for months now. And I definitely feel a lot of anxiety while I've been working on it. And I didn't think that was going to happen because I've gone to a lot of therapy. I thought that maybe I was partly healed and was so ready to take this next step. And I think that I'm realizing a little bit that you're still bringing up these times that were so difficult. And it was funny because I was having anxiety, like almost felt like little panic attacks over the last few months. And I talked to my friend about it because that's not like me. And I was like, what's going on in my life that could possibly give me anxiety? And she's like, Tara, you're talking about and bringing up all of these past memories, it's, it's probably a little bit of PTSD. And I think that's definitely part of it. it this is healing for us, but also hard. It, it is a bizarre process because, you know, over the last few months, thinking about our last, you know, four or five years in this process, we've you know, it's weird to say mapped it out, but like in my head, I started kind of writing down these big categories and big milestones of what we've gone through and the big pieces of trauma that we've mm -hmm. gone through. And I kind of, I actually, my OCD process would, was to write it out on note cards and sort of lay it out. And it does help you sort of, you know, visualize what we've been through, um, which is weird because I think most people, when they go through trauma or just an experience, a prolonged experience, they put their head in the sand or they just grit their teeth and they're not reflecting as they're in it. As you're, yeah, exactly. That's what I feel like 
there's a little bit of that. Obviously, when I was in in the moment, I was just trying to get by. Then you try to process, but we are really talking about all of these things in depth now, and it's it's definitely bringing stuff up. But but I do think it's special to be able to do this with you, and I think as hard as it is at times, this episode probably will be hard for me. But at the same time, I I feel like we're healing together. And I don't know if we would have had these in-depth conversations if it weren't for this podcast. So we left off in episode three with some really devastating news. You were pregnant and had gone off into your heartbeat scan. So you go in for that scan and just take me through that day and walking up and what happened. It was COVID. You weren't allowed in. I went into the heartbeat scan, a big milestone to reach. And, and it was, it was awful. You know, I walked in and sat down and I just knew. I knew from watching her, that awkward silence, that searching. And like, I could tell she just wanted to find this heartbeat and just the look on her face when she said, I'm sorry, there's no fetal heartbeat. And it's just so sad that it's it feels like it's over. You know, of course, she said, you know, it's still early. Let's wait a week. But you just kind of knew that this was the end of the road. And then you are in this like, you know, I know Dr. Beck for a year, but not enough to like, experience these type of emotions with her in a small room where I wanted to lay down on that that table and just fetal position cry. But instead I'm like, okay. And then I'm like putting on my clothes and, you know, just going through the motions knowing I have to walk outside into the clinic and downstairs. And just like, it felt like I was in a trance and I was like, oh my goodness, it's over. And then I just kept thinking like, I'm going to walk in the car. I just had this thing. I was walking in the car to tell you there was a heartbeat. And it was like, I couldn't get over that. Like I was walking into the car to tell you that there was no heartbeat. And it was just, it's just, you're not prepared in, especially what I feel for my own personal journey was, I was not prepared for that first miscarriage. And I don't think anyone's ever really prepared and nothing really compared to that first one. I got accustomed to loss and grief and pain as I went further, but this one is just like a unique type of shock. So I know it's hard to put yourself back in that place, but what, I mean, you talked a lot about your emotions and how you felt, but what is it exactly? Is it sadness? Is it anger? Is it just disappointment? I mean, it's so many emotions. It's this frantic feeling of just wanting to stop it. It's like this adrenaline that's rushing through your body. You just can't believe you got so close and you thought this was happening and you're so attached already. And, you know, you're at home teasing me. There's a bun in the oven and we have all these jokes. And in my, in your mind, you're like, no, this is not happening. All of these hopes and dreams that are tied to this are are gone. And... You know, it's weird because obviously people hear about miscarriage. And if you were to ask me before, you know, I started IVF or at any point before I had a miscarriage, oh, how would you handle a miscarriage? I don't know if I would have seen myself feeling the things I felt as deeply as I felt them. I knew that 
you know, obviously miscarriage is sad and awful and all of these things, but it's such a unique pain. And until you feel it, it's so hard to articulate the pain. And whether it's a chemical pregnancy, whether it's, you know, a miscarriage or just the loss of an embryo and IVF, it's just this really unique, sad pain. And I think until I experienced it, I now remember thinking back to stories of women going through miscarriage and hearing the attachment and this connection and the the, the ripping away that you feel. Um, it just all hit me and blindsided me. And I had no idea how to to handle these emotions. The only thing I can say is like, I feel like I lived life 37 years and kind of felt every emotion. And it was like a new emotion, like just like descended on my body. Yeah, it is the, it's interesting to hear you say the, the attachment kind of blindsided you. Cause it is this sort of six, seven week thing. And you would think, like you said, a couple of years before you've been like, oh, it's like horrible and sad, but like, I'm not going to be attached to this you know, thing in my body that's only been there for X amount of weeks, but you do, oh, you know? Completely attached. And like I said, it was, we talked about it. We we envisioned our life moving in a different direction. And then literally it just gets smashed to, to pieces in one moment when they say, I'm sorry, there's no fetal heartbeat. I remember too, you, after this happened, having like waking up in the middle of the night or waking me up in the morning and saying, I'm having these like terrible dreams. Like you were really struggling with whatever anxiety, I guess, had come along with that. Yeah, I know. I like look back, like those dreams were insane and I can't even believe I'm starting to cry because I've been through so much, like much more, not worse, but I've been through a lot of these and it's like this first one just did me in. Like it was hard to understand. And um, yeah, I was like, and I would love to know if other women feel this, but the craziest thing were the dreams. Like at night, first off, I started to experience depression um, for the first time. Yeah, which that, is, it's interesting to point out, like you are not, I mean, there's a lot, even myself, like I can be on this spectrum, obviously, yeah. of, oh, you can get down sometimes and whatever. You are like not that person no. at all. I've never <laughs> seen you depressed or no. sort of like detached. No, I've never really had those feelings. And it, and it was also scary because again, like all of these feelings I've never felt for 37 years. And then I was probably asking you, but I was like, Todd, like I, can't take a shower. I don't want to get out of bed. Yeah, you were describing all these things with confusion. I was like, yeah, you're you're extremely Depre depressed. depressed. And um, it just felt like so much work. And I just wanted to sleep. Like that was my only, because when I would sleep, I would dream or forget that this was happening. And, you know, I just wanted this so badly. You know, I, I went through that year where I imagined kids and this moment and... It just was hard for my mind to adjust that in, you know, from 10, 15 to 10, 16, that was over. And the dreams were the craziest because I would either have these like fever dreams where it was so real of what we were going through. So I was, you know, reliving that in the moment or it was waking up the, the next mo morning and just that moment where like you're awake and 
I was like, oh, I feel fine and everything's okay. And then it was like quickly adjusting to remembering that my life was actually what it was, that this was a reality. And I just remember just that was such a interesting thing to me for like 10, 15 seconds. I would go from feeling normal to this deep drop of this is my life. And that adjustment would take me hours in the morning to just, you know, adjust to dealing with these emotions. I just was not ready for these emotions. I just didn't think I'd feel it as deeply as I did. And it's just interesting because like you're still going through your days. So you almost feel like you're in slow-mo because life is still happening. You have family obligations, you have work obligations, you have friends that you haven't told about any of this. So you have to be there for them through something. So you go through these moments where you just like suit up, you do that thing, but underneath you just feel like you're this robot that's like barely getting through. When you've sort of resigned yourself to the fact that this was a miscarriage at this point, like what was going through your head in terms of the fear of what was wrong and why this one didn't work? Well, I mean, miscarriage is common. It happens. And I thought, okay, well, we just hit bad luck. And a lot of miscarriages are due to chromosomal abnormalities, genetic abnormalities. And that's exactly what Dr. Beck told me at the next appointment. When again, there was no heartbeat. She just said, it, it's likely just nature. She's like, I can control a lot. There, you, There's nothing wrong with you. You made two beautiful genetically normal embryos that we have on ice. It's just nature. Nature picks this and it happens. And that was the answer. So I can't imagine what this is like, but the weight I know was probably excruciating to remove something in your body that's not viable. If you just talk about that, like how hard that is and what the timeline looks like for that. Because you can't, you know, we had to go back another week for this test that you knew was sort of moot. Right. And you, you know, because you don't want by chance something turns around. Right. Yeah, of course. You would never, and the doctor would never let you take that right. risk. And I mean, weeks go on and it's it's limbo and it's awful and it's just counting down the days. But at this point, we when we went back to the next appointment, she was like, we need to schedule a DNC. Which is? Which is where I will go do a little procedure under anesthesia and they will remove the pregnancy. And why she said that was because my body was holding on to the pregnancy. I had not a drop of blood. You know, we were even checking my numbers and they were rising. So, you know, we knew that we had to, to do a DNC and waiting for that was just misery. I just wanted it done. I wanted closure I don't know how to explain it. And I wonder if other women feel this way, but it just felt so confusing because I wanted this pregnancy so bad. But at the same time, now I needed it out of me. Like I had, it was like I had an itch all day where it just felt so upsetting to think, you know, this wasn't going to happen and it's still in me. And it's just like a real mind fuck. And it just, I, I don't, I don't know if other women feel this, but it just was like, awful limbo still. Like you just wanted to close this chapter. You wanted to move on. And also you wanted to get pregnant again. Like that is all I thought about. It was like an obsession. I was like, 
I want to, I, I, how many days? Okay, next next time my period starts, then in 15 days, that will be, you know, August 12th, that's when we're going to try. That means you just, because you're so desperate, you just want to hold on to a little bit of hope. So like I transfer my energy to that and I just couldn't stop thinking. And I think a lot of women feel this way and a lot of couples feel this way is like when you have that loss, you just want to get back in the game and try again. It, it literally reminded me of competition. Like I would sweep up the ice and all I felt was like, let me go back out there one more time and I can show you that I can do it. So like, I felt that feeling. It was just a crazy urge. I just, I really struggled with that. So the night before, you know, those weeks pass, obviously, and you're able to have your DNC, but the night before that DNC was our anniversary, sadly. What, um, do you remember anything about that night? It just, isn't it weird that we like hit a lot of holidays and yeah, it seems special like every, dates. Yeah, it seems like every failure Valentine's was like Day. Valentine's Day or your birthday. Yeah, my birthday, you know, the anniversary. The thing that I remember about the anniversary that was sad was that you wrote me, you got me a really special gift where we we're going to write in our book of all of our anniversaries. And you wrote, this time next year, we'll have a baby. And I clung on to that, you know, and I just, looking back now, it's just like, that seemed really sad. Yeah. I think I thought you were right. I thought in a year we'd have a baby. And I just think, you know, that night was weird because I didn't know what to expect. That's another thing. Not, you know, women don't really talk about miscarriage that openly, even though, you know, I think more women are are trying to tell their stories. So it becomes something that everyone feels comfortable talking about. Um, but I didn't know what to expect with a DNC. Like that kind of seems scary. Like I was so upset about us not being pregnant that that was my main thought. But then in the back of the, my mind, you know, I still had like a little concern for myself where I was like, what's going to happen? Am I going to bleed? Am I going to be in pain? You know, there's also scarring that can happen with the DNC, like the procedure itself. You could be, you could go to the, to any doctor in the world. It could be God himself. And, you know, there's instruments there and just touching of your uterus with those instruments that could cause, you know, scarring, which could then prevent another pregnancy. So there were just all these worries. And I was just on this little bit of a roller coaster of emotions and didn't know, you know, what was I going to feel like? So just take me through that process of going up and, and having a DNC. I think it's hard. You have so many conflicting feelings. You want this procedure to start over, but you want this pregnancy to continue, but it's not going to. And then it's just this somber feeling. You walk into the same area that you had your retrieval where you had so much hope and you know, all the nurses are chatting with you and everyone's a little quiet and, you know, trying to be cautious around you. And then you have to sign all these documents and forms and you have to verbally say what procedure you're here for. And that was, you know, I was holding it together. And when I had to say that, it just felt awful. And it's just, I just wanted to be honest, I just wanted the anesthesia. I wanted a 15 minute nap, not to think about anything. Do you remember just the feelings after it? I think for me, the biggest thing was the hormonal drop. Um, you know, immediately everything is taken out of you. All of, all of that is gone in 15 minutes. And then, you know, and later I have talked to friends who have gone through miscarriage that that hormonal drop that happens over the next few days is extreme. 
And now a quick word from our sponsors. We've been talking about how frustrating the diagnosis of unexplained infertility can be. So it's incredible when you come across a test like Receptiva DX, which can provide you with crucial insight, information, and answers. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that can help detect inflammatory conditions of the uterus that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. The most common condition of a positive Receptiva DX test is endometriosis with or without symptoms. Receptiva DX includes BCL6, a marker that identifies uterine inflammation most often associated with asymptomatic or silent endometriosis. BCL6 is found in more than 50% of women with unexplained infertility. If your result is positive for the Receptiva DX test, treatment options can improve the chances for a successful live birth fivefold, which is incredibly hopeful news. Please ask your doctor about this test to learn more or go to ReceptivaDX.com. It's so interesting to me that just the idea of miscarriages, to me, this is like my, I guess, male perspective of just like hearing things out in the world and like how society handles mm -hmm. miscarriages or what you hear or what the like line is about them. And for me, it's always like, I've always heard since I've been an adult, like, oh, it's been whispered about, but that whisper is always like, you know, like just a lot of women have them though. It's so common. You, you'd be shocked of how many women have miscarriages. So it, on one hand, it's like whispered about, but on the other hand, it's almost like poo-pooed as this like, oh, well, you know, we're whispering, but like, it's not that big of a deal. Like every woman yeah. has a miscarriage. And it's such a weird, like irony that like right. it's both of those things. Exactly. Because on one hand, it's not talked about enough and you don't want then women to feel alone or feel like they're the only person that has this or there's something so uniquely wrong with them that they're so unlucky enough to have a miscarriage where miscarriage is quite common. And you want to hear those stories so you then aren't isolated and you're not alone. But then on the other hand, I think a lot of people don't always know what to say, especially if they haven't gone through a miscarriage. And I think the op optimistic thing to say or the thing that maybe you want to say to someone to make them not feel alone is, oh, there's, I know so many people who've had a miscarriage. Which is a horrible thing to hear when you've just had one. Well, like, okay, well, so are you diminishing my feelings? Right, right because it's it's like, you, you, you're like, on one hand, you're like, good, good, good. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. But then on the other hand, you're like, my feelings are bigger <laughs> yeah. than this. Wait, so everyone's <laughs> has felt like this? But also just, it wasn't matching what I was feeling in the moment of like, oh, you know, not a big deal. It, it, it is a big deal and it's, it's a loss. So you kind of feel like you're saying it's it's a weird scale of where you you feel less alone, but then you also need more support and you need more people to talk about miscarriage openly. I could go on about this subject for days just because I think there's so many things that create this perfect storm of why miscarriage is still not talked about enough. And I think one of them is generational. It's society and culture of past generations of loss and grief is a private home matter. Miscarriage is not talked about. You know, women are meant to to do this and, you know, carry life and this happens and we just kind of keep it contained. And I think then that as much as we're changing now, there still is shame. I think that's the other part. The other little part of that perfect storm is 
I felt it. There is no way around it because of this feeling of this is what a woman's supposed to do and your body is failing you and you feel shame. You feel defective. You feel maybe even like a little at blame. There was a lot of times I kept going, but what, you know, obviously I walked down the stairs carefully, but was there anything else I did that caused this? You feel at fault and then that shame. And that's what starts to just build this, this cycle of not being able to talk about your loss. We've talked a lot already in the podcast about sharing things with friends. And as you're going through it and it's hard, you don't want to feel pity. You don't want the pressure of explaining everything. But in this instance, and you eventually told all your friends about everything, but in this instance, how long did it take you to tell friends about the miscarriage? Do you remember? So it took me um, six months to tell like my very close friends that I hadn't told before. And I had told only a few people. And even when I started to tell people I had a miscarriage, whether it was some friends or, you know, close family, I think sometimes people just really don't know how to react. It's obviously such an uncomfortable, sad subject. And you almost feel like, oh, I'm making them uncomfortable. And I think, again, it's just because it's not talked about so freely, people don't always know what to say or how to respond. And they're probably feeling so bad for you in that moment. But we need to find ways to feel I, I wish I could have felt comfortable enough to just openly talk about it right from the start. Because think about this too, when you're pregnant and you aren't supposed to tell people for 12 weeks. I feel like the subliminal messaging there is don't tell anyone because it's going to be very uncomfortable when, you know, if something were to go wrong. And now look, some people, whatever you want to do, if you don't want to ever you know, mention that you're pregnant, don't. If you want to wait, wait. If you don't even want to tell like anyone you have a kid someday, do whatever you want. But I think it's kind of strange that when you think what other medical condition or medical issue is there sort of protocol where it's like, just wait. But the if people were open and you were able to do that, you'd have that support system there if, and hopefully not, but if anything were to go wrong. I think you do also have to do this weird, it's horrible that you have to do this, but this weird gauging of like, you shouldn't, again, I hate saying this, but like, you're not like ranking miscarriage trauma, but there's miscarriages that happen at 20 weeks, at 30 weeks, at 40 weeks, you know, the heartbeat scan, like there's different levels, I guess, to a miscarriage. I think there are levels. There just are levels. There's someone out there that's giving birth and they have a stillbirth or there is someone that is 37 weeks pregnant and has a stillbirth. There's someone who loses a pregnancy at 20 weeks. There's someone who has a miscarriage at eight to nine weeks. And then there's someone who has a chemical miscarriage. There's someone who loses an embryo in an IVF transfer that just doesn't even stick. They're all loss. But it's even hard for me sometimes. I used to feel like, oh, well, you know, I probably can't talk about all these feelings I'm having because, you know, it wasn't like we saw the baby you know, for 30 weeks in my belly, this is a little bit different. But I think at the same time, regardless of that level, there is, you know, this indescribable feeling and grief and loss. Well, it's a silly thing that human beings do, I think. And we talked about this in episode one of, you know, prefacing this whole podcast of like, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that was hard for us 
me and you went through this. Right. There are a million things that people struggle with in the world that are worse. Right. Sure. It's the same thing with miscarriages. Like you have one at eight weeks versus 30. Like, okay, sure. Like one is technically right. more traumatic yes, than, than the next. Yeah. That doesn't diminish right. your own personal experience. Right. So this is a weird question to ask, I guess, because I know you never really get over it. But how do you move on from a miscarriage? I think for me, it was just time. I needed those days to just kind of hit the bottom of the barrel and then you know, let time pass. And it's like anything, right? Like in the moment you think I'm never going to get past this. I'm never going to forget this feeling. This feels so awful. How am I going to wake up? And it's not going to feel like this. It's like a first heartbreak where you have those thoughts and then you realize like, oh, I've moved forward. I know that like you will get better. And I think the time ticking is what was just helpful for me. But in the moment, I mean, I remember what those first few days, my heart remember I would say, Todd, I feel like, I feel like I'm going to, am I going to have a heart attack? Like if physically I feel it breaking, <laughs> I feel it breaking. And again, it's like anything, you know, a few weeks later, you, you know, you, you forget a little bit of that acute pain and then your brain hopefully protects you and finds something to hold on to hope for. So with our history now in our journey with two failed retrievals, one successful one, then one natural pregnancy and a miscarriage, what were you thinking our issue was? Was it just a string of bad luck? You think about this podcast and we've laughed that it almost feels like a bit of a mystery. And it's a weird thing to say about an infertility journey, but unexplained infertility is exactly that. It's a mystery. And I feel like these were all just data points of, oh, will we be able to have genetic children? Yes, check that off with retrieval two. Oh, can you get pregnant? Yes. Check that off. Oh, wait, are you staying pregnant? Nope. Check that off in that box. And it was just this tic-tac-toe that I was trying to figure out and just had no idea. Yeah, none of it made really any sense. So at this point, I just, I was just like, I have no idea what's happening. Another data point that we got around this time that it's sort of a disturbing data point and it's what's called a product of conception and it's the unviable pregnancy they actually send off for testing um, what, what, what did they tell us about? So when you that? do the DNC, obviously, if you, obviously it's weeks into it. So they're able to test the miscarriage and they can then test to see if it was genetically abnormal or not. And like Dr. Beck said, a lot of miscarriages, especially before 12 weeks are due to chromosomal abnormalities, which is what she thought this was going to be. And that's just nature. And so that gets sent off and Dr. Beck gets the results and calls. And what was that phone call like? Gosh, I remember sitting in your office with, with Dubby right there. And I was so for sure that this was just uh, nature, not one that was going to work. And remember she got on the phone and was like, okay, we need to talk about next steps. We have the results. And she said it was a genetically normal female and chromosomally it was okay. So then I was like, well, then what is it? Yeah, because I don't know the exact percentages, but very high percentages, 80, 90% of the issues are chromosomal issues for the miscarriage that we had. So it was sort of like, okay, like we're in this 15 percentile where it's something else that we need to figure out. Right. And that was my very next question. Well, then what's what went wrong? So what did Dr. Beck say she thought the problem was then? 
She said, we need to talk next steps and a plan because I think you have significant endometriosis that is preventing pregnancy. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases. And hey, DM me on Instagram if you'd like to engage about fertility. I'd love to hear your story because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost.